0: Many years ago, high in the Carpathian Mountains, there lived one whose name was to become legend as king of all the vampires, Count Dracula of Transylvania. But now... In this first half of the 20th century, the searching light of civilization spreading from the west has driven him from his stronghold, driven him further east, across desert and mountain range. Until now, all trace of him has been lost. It is the opinion of those in authority that he is dead, finally destroyed forever. It is also the opinion of others not draped in the cloak of officialdom but he lies hidden in some remote corner of the world, waiting, waiting for his next victim. Howrah railway station, northwest India, 1934. Penny Woods, young, fresh, and very attractive. But at this moment, looking very bewildered, not a little alarmed, is hemmed in on all sides, looking around for someone who might possibly help her. Please,
1: which is the Mahabad train? Mahabad? Do you speak English?
2: Yes, I speak it. Mahabad
1: train? My ticket.
2: Ah, Mahabad. (laughs) Mahabad train, uh, over there. Uh, Where? There, see, you have just missed it. Wednesday. At the same time. Hey! You cannot do that! It is forbidden time!
3: Quick! Take my hand! thank you! Thank you!
0: (sighs) Penny finds herself in the dusty corridor of a first-class compartment, clutching her case and her ticket. The first compartment she comes to has the blinds down. She tentatively tries the handle, but drops it when there's a sharp call of disapproval from within. Occupied. Sorry. She moves on to the next. Seated on one side of the compartment, his bare feet drawn up under him, surrounded by pots, jars, bundles and packages, is a large, overweight Bengali man. This is Babu. On the opposite side is a young couple, the boy in western clothes, the girl in traditional sari. As Penny appears, the girl turns shyly away boy gives her a big smile of welcome.
1: Excuse me, is there a place free?
2: Yes, come in. Yes, of course, my dear young lady, come. Sit by me. You will be quite safe. These charming young people will be our chaperons. <laughs> you cannot be too careful, you know. There are some pretty funny fellows about now, I can tell you.
0: The young man takes Penny's case from her and puts it on the luggage rack above. For a moment, their eyes meet. He gives her a boyish grin. Babu waves an admonishing finger.
2: Ah, I know what you are thinking. He's just an old fuddy-duddy, isn't it? Please believe me, sir, I thought nothing of the sort. Here I am babbling on without a common courtesy to introduce myself. Mukherjee a merchant from Kolkata. But call me Bapu.
1: Oh, hello. I'm Penny Woods from London.
2: I'm Prem Gopal. This is my sister, Lakshmi.
0: The Indian girl gives a little bow and smiles a ravishing smile.
1: How far are you traveling, Miss Woods? Please, call me Penny, to Mahabad.
2: Then you will be traveling through the night?
1: So I gather. But
2: where is your bedroom, your dhari, your blanket? I haven't any. That is all your luggage? Yes.
1: How long will you be staying in Mahabad? I really don't know. A, a week or two perhaps. Then where are your clothes? Well, they're all in my case. My heaven.
4: We are only staying one night and look at my sister's luggage.
2: I am an artist. How do I know what my mood will be tomorrow night? What I shall dance? What costume I shall need? I
4: am a musician but I only bring one sitar, not an orchestra.
2: Because the sitar is the only thing you can play. That's why. children,
4: <laughs> Sorry. We are going to Mahabad to perform before the Maharaja.
2: For the one night? He will pay us well. And I am returning to my summer home in the hills. And I shall be jolly glad to be there, I can tell you. May I ask why you are going to Mahabad, Miss Penny?
1: I don't quite know.
2: You are going, but you do not know why?
1: I know, it sounds odd. I've recently come into a legacy. Not a fortune, just... Enough to let me wander about the world for a while. I landed in Calcutta this morning. I knew it would be hot, of course, but well, (laughs) I nearly passed out. I just went to the station and asked for a ticket for the nearest cool place. I've really no idea where Mahabad is even. It sounds crazy, I know. You have no friends in India? Only you. My
4: heaven. I think it is quite wonderful. Congratulations.
1: If we pass anything of special interest, anything unusual, would you point it out to me?
2: My dear young lady, the most interesting and unusual thing I can see at this moment is yourself.
0: Penny stands in the corridor, relaxed and at peace, smoking a cigarette and watching the spectacular countryside unroll. In the background, Prem is playing a soulful song on his sitar. Penny turns for a moment and idly glances into the next compartment. On the floor, a servant in immaculate white uniform is setting out a meal for his master, serving it on plates that look suspiciously like solid gold with spotless white linen. Seated in one corner is a solitary figure, with fair complexion and jet black hair. He sits bolt upright, looking neither to right nor left, staring straight ahead as if unaware of anything around him. Then, almost as if sensing Penny's fascinated gaze, he slowly turns his head and stares at her. But his eyes are devoid of life. Dead, their soul fled from them. Penny cannot tear her gaze away. The servant, seeing that his master is not drinking, turns towards Penny, and we glimpse for a brief moment the hideous scar that runs across his face, distorting the skin, blinding one eye. Then, furious, the servant reaches up and jerks down the blind in Penny's face. Penny turns away and gives a little cry of alarm as she finds herself next to somebody.
4: He doesn't intend to starve, does he?
1: (laughs) You're right. Who is he? Do you know?
4: He came to see Lakshmi dance in Calcutta. He gave us this job.
0: As the sun sets, the train passes a lake fringed with palms. The setting sun sets the still water alight with a deep red glow.
4: This is the best time to see India. At dusk, with all the hard edges softened.
0: In the darkened compartment, everyone is now asleep under their blankets. Penny huddled under the bright sari loaned to her by Lakshmi. Her eyes are flickering, and we hear the voice of a girl.
5: Yesterday we went to visit the Kibaya Caves, and they have the most extraordinary carvings on the walls. You've no idea what those gods and goddesses got up to. We went back again at night, just for a thrill, and I met a man tall dark and with the most piercing eyes I've ever seen they seem to bore right through me those eyes, Penny. those eyes those eyes
2: that is my The station is somewhere from the town.
1: Shall I be able to get a taxi?
2: There will be no need. I shall drive you in my own car.
1: Oh, That's very kind of you.
2: (laughs) Wait until you see my car before you thank me. (laughs) Look, you can see that tower?
0: He points. Penny looks out. Glimpsed among the trees is an ancient round stone tower.
2: That is the Tower of Silence. Those of the Parsi religion leave their dead at the top of that tower, to be picked clean by the vultures.
1: How gruesome.
2: Not at all. It is very sanitary. But we Hindus prefer the purification of fire. Here we are.
0: As the passengers for Mahabad clamber down from the train with the usual noisy pantomime, Penny watches with interest. As the blind-eyed servant strides ahead, clearing a path through the crowd for his master, who looks neither to right nor left. He walks straight to a magnificent, ancient Rolls-Royce, which stands in the center of the station yard. An elderly, uniformed chauffeur jumps down from the driver's seat and gives a grand salute. As Penny steps down from the train with Babu, the master turns and raises a thin finger, beckoning to Prem and Lakshmi, indicating that they should sit in the rear of the car. Lakshmi turns to Penny and gives her a warm smile.
1: Goodbye then, Miss Penny.
4: Yes, goodbye. Have a good... um, Get in. (sighs) I think he's getting impatient.
0: (laughs) He smiles at Penny, a smile with a hint of longing. Perhaps under other circumstances... He leads Lakshmi towards the rolls, where the servant bundles them inside, slamming the door as the car pulls silently away.
2: I feel, Miss Benny, my own motor car will be a great disappointment after such magnificence.
0: He leads her to a corner of the parking area, where a very old Morris Tourer stands under the protection of a dust sheet. The Bengali dumps their luggage and rolls back the sheet.
2: You do? Let us see if it will start. Mm. (laughs) Magnificent! Where will you stay in Mahabad, Miss Penny? What? Oh, um, at a hotel, I suppose. That would be possible. Oh? They will be all full. brim full. It is the time of our puja. Puja? A Hindu festival. The town will be packed with people. Packed? Not a room to be had. But that is no problem. You will stay with us. Mrs. Mukherjee and I. Look out! Hey! Open it, open it!
0: In contrast to the noisy Morris, Lakshmi and Prem sit in gloomy silence on the well-padded rear seat of their Rolls-Royce as it sweeps down a narrow road overhung by thick, dank trees. Lakshmi cannot restrain a shudder. Are you cold? Yes.
6: No, it's... uh...
0: I know what you mean.
1: I'm frightened, Prem. I wish we'd not agreed to come.
4: It's only for one night. And think of the nice fat check we'll have tomorrow.
0: The car slows down as it approaches a magnificent gateway. An aged gatekeeper appears and hurries to swing open the rusting wrought-iron gates. The car sweeps in down an overgrown driveway, hedged in on either side by brambles and weed-smothered trees, that part to reveal a decaying palace of gaunt beauty. Just look at As the vehicle comes to a halt, the chauffeur gets out and opens the rear door. A moment later, a tall figure dressed in the uniform of a major domo appears at the top of the steps. You will follow me. Inside the palace, although it is day, the huge windows are all of stained glass, so dark that its wounds are bathed in gloom. Prem and Lakshmi follow the retreating majordomo along the inhospitable corridor, Its walls panelled in faded brocades and decorated by crumbling trophies. Lakshmi is near to tears. The majordomo stops outside one of the doors and opens it with a key from his ring. With a nod, he indicates that she should enter. Lakshmi hesitates, then goes inside. The room is sparsely furnished with a bed and furnishings that were once good, but now show the inevitable signs of decay. She turns in despair to find Prem leaving with the Major Domo.
4: Prem! I'll be back. Don't worry.
0: Outside in the corridor, the Major Domo unlocks the next door alarm. He indicates that Prem should enter. The bedroom is identical to Lakshmi's.
2: Our luggage? it will be brought when it arrives.
0: Prem moves to the shuttered windows to fling them open, but discovers that they are heavily barred.
4: coming I can't the door's stuck check yours
1: Dream. my door is locked too
2: this is my humble dwelling
0: bibi ji we have a guest the front door to one of the neat little houses opens a fraction. Mrs. Mukaji, torn between natural modesty and her desire to see her guest, hesitates in the doorway, then hops down and starts to lift out the baggage.
2: She's staying with us, Bibbiji. Don't hesitate, Miss Woods. Go on in.
6: Welcome, my dear. Welcome to our house.
0: In the palace, Prem has changed into a colourful costume. He checks his appearance in the mirror, then picks up his sitar. My master is
2: waiting. You
4: can't get in. The door is... Uh, Locked. Uh, Look here.
2: Why have we been... You will follow me.
0: As Prem steps into the corridor, Lakshmi appears out of her room, ravishing in a gold-thread Benares sari with matching gold slippers, a flower in her luxuriant hair. You will follow me. Lakshmi looks very worried. A prem manages an encouraging smile. They follow the majordomo towards a pair of magnificently carved and polished doors, which he flings open to reveal... a fantastic room, every inch of which is decorated. The molded ceiling, the carved wooden paneling, the mosaic floors. In the huge fireplace, a log fire burns. In front of it, a tray laden with wine and food.
2: Wait here.
4: Well, I'm starving, aren't you?
1: I don't think so.
0: I'm sure they would not miss... The Major Domo steps aside to reveal a man and a woman, both magnificently dressed. The woman, tall, elegant, obviously beautiful in her day, we have not seen before. She is the Rani. Her husband, is the man from the train.
2: The entertainers, your highnesses. The Maharaja
6: and Maharani of Mahabhar.
0: Lakshmi gives the traditional Hindu greeting, placing her palms together. (laughs) Namaste.
6: Charming. I'm
4: sorry, your highness. We did not know. Did not know what? That we should be... That we are to perform for you.
0: You aren't. The Maharaja nods to the majordomo, who gives a short bow, then moves off leaving the others grouped in silence prem and lakshmi exchange uneasy glances before from the gloom a figure emerges tall dark dressed in a black cloak he stops in the doorway dominating the scene his eyes searching until they fall on lakshmi my heaven she takes an involuntary step back quickly averting her eyes then as if forced raising them again Good evening.
7: You will be dancing for me. I am Count Dracula.
0: Prem's fingers caress the sitar strings, and a low, rhythmic drone pattern emerges, turning into a melody. An area has been cleared for Lakshmi's dance, Seated in the audience are the Maharaja, the Rani, and in the center, Count Dracula. Behind him, motionless, stands the majordomo. As the rhythm of the sitar becomes more and more insistent, Lakshmi slowly rises from the floor and begins to dance, at first just swaying and posturing in the traditional movements of the Indian dance, then catching the wild rhythm with her own body, improvising. She is a brilliant dancer. Count Dracula's eyes, filled with desire, watch her every movement. The dance comes to a climax, then fades gently away. As the last chords of the sitar die away, there is silence.
6: Bravo!
7: You will dance again.
6: Your
4: Highness, we have come a long way and have had nothing to eat. Before we perform again, perhaps...
7: Give them refreshment.
6: Does she please you?
7: You have done well.
6: She is quite...
7: lovely. <gasps>
2: I warned you, Miss Finny. I warned you it will be too hot. What? Banana! <clears throat>
6: Indian curries are not for Western mouths. Have you ever tasted curry before, Miss Penny? At school. At school?
2: A spoonful of weak curry powder in a pot of English stew. Now, she can drink, PBG.
1: Mm. Oh, I'm sorry.
2: No cause to be sorry. Drink that down, then try some of Mrs. Mukherjee's delicious da. Not hot. Not at all.
0: <laughs> In the palace, Prem empties a glass of wine Delicious A servant immediately mm. pours another
2: Don't you think you've had enough, Prem?
0: This is only my third
4: Did you see the way he was looking at you, Lakshmi? The tall one Couldn't keep his eyes off you
1: He frightens me, Prem mm.
3: You will dance again Now
4: uh, uh, uh. I'm very sorry, but I don't think I shall be able You will not be needed. What? Take him away.
0: The Major Domo appears, pulls Prem to his feet and starts leading him away.
4: Prem?
7: Do not be afraid, my dear. You will dance for me again. But this time, you will dance for me alone. Do you understand?
6: Yes.
0: Dance. Lakshmi, her eyes glazed, starts to sway to the music. As it slowly builds in volume and excitement, her body begins to interpret the rhythmical patterns, moving sinuously, swaying in physical ecstasy as if she were giving herself to her master. Dracula watches her every movement. Yes. Her fingers seek the clasp of her sari. Yes. Prem is thrown by the servants onto the stone floor of his bedroom. His face is running with sweat and he's racked with internal pain. He extends his arms towards them blindly.
3: Please, help me.
0: One of the servants laughs and kicks out, sending Prem sprawling against the wall. Dracula stands in silence. Looking down at Lakshmi. She lies on a huge chaise longue, her eyes shut, her lips parted. He begins to smile, and we see his sharp fangs for the first time. Lakshmi slowly opens her eyes, and, as if impelled by outside forces, raises herself towards him, eager to be taken. Dracula bends over her. <gasps> The solid rock of a cave. Erotic images are carved into the wall, blurred, distorted, fantastic pictures. Penny stands at the window of her bedroom, her eyes open but unseeing as if listening to something. In the palace, the figure of Dracula now lies across the chaise longue, eyes wide open but distant, satiated, his mouth wet with fresh blood, red, red fangs exposed. On Lakshmi's neck, twin puncture marks are weeping blood. She, too, is neither awake nor asleep, but in a sexual coma, lying supine on her bed. She stirs, and as her eyes begin to focus, moans as she feels the pain in her throat. Her hand moves up to it, and then comes away, her fingers tipped with blood. She gasps, then remembers, and sits up, realizing she is naked she begins to caress her nakedness. Then becomes aware that she is not alone in the room. Through the mosquito netting, dimly outlined by the moonlight seeping in through the half-closed shutters, a figure stands there, not moving. She slowly pulls the covers over her body.
1: Prem, Who... Who are you?
0: She is seized by the thin, strong arms of the Rani, whose face is a mask of evil excitement. Before she can scream, a pad is clamped across her mouth by the blind-eyed servant. Lakshmi goes limp. At a nod from the Rani, the servant carries her from the room. The Rani glances at Dracula, but he still lies draped across the couch, replete, eyes wide open but unresponsive. She sweeps from the room. The servant carries the unconscious figure of Lakshmi down the corridor. Ahead of him, the Rani finds a niche holding the figure of a small golden god. She removes it. There is a grinding of unseen gears and a small section of the wall slides back. They enter and the panel moves back into place behind them. Steps carved in solid rock lead down past fantastically decorated robes hanging from the rock. As they reach an apparently solid wall at the bottom of the steps, the Rani extends a hand and the wall again immediately swings away to reveal another passage full of erotic carvings. The sound of the drumming is now deafening and we can hear added to it the wail of conches, the clash of cymbals and the chanting of many voices. Suddenly, a giant cave is revealed, illuminated by the flickering light of oil lamps. The cave is packed. With men, most of them naked to the waist, but some, the acolytes, dressed in multicolored robes. A few wear bizarre masks. In the center of the cave is a low, flat, altar like stone, at one end of which stands a lingam that rises up to a sharp point of bright silver. The worshippers fall back as the Rani appears and surveys the scene with thin lipped satisfaction. Finally, She steps aside to reveal the sacrifice, the beautiful Lakshmi, still unconscious in the arms of the blind-eyed servant. At a sign from the Rani, the servant approaches the altar and lays down the girl, then giving a deep salam to his mistress, backs away. The Rani stands, looking down at the unconscious girl in silence for a moment. And she turns, her mouth distorted in an evil mask of triumph. RAK Immediately the drums burst into frenzied activity, and the worshippers sway and moan to the rhythm. Louder and louder beat the drums. Louder and louder are the voices of the worshippers, until the noise is unendurable. The Rani throws her arms high in the air, demanding immediate silence.
6: God of blood... God of blood, great god of creation and of destruction, receive this thy gift.
0: She gives a sign, and an evil-faced acolyte comes forward with a brass bowl of water. The Rani dips her hand into it and scatters it over the unconscious figure of Lakshmi, who stirs, fighting her way back into consciousness. There is a gasp of wonder at her beauty. Seize her. Two tall acolytes step forward and grab her. She starts to struggle, trying to get free, which seems to please the worshippers, who howl with glee. Struggling, Lakshmi is carried to the lingam, where the two tall acolytes wait for the sign. The Rani lifts her arms again.
6: Great god of blood, receive thy gift.
0: The two acolytes raise the squirming figure above the sharp point of the shrine. No. Later, the great cave is deserted. Dracula's face is distorted with fury as he looks about him and then stares at the dead figure of the girl impaled on the lingam. You took her from me!
7: You took her from me!
0: He drops to the floor and starts to lap up the blood. Like an animal. (laughs)
2: Caves? With strange carvings?
1: Yes. Do you know of them, Mr Mukherjee?
2: I know of these things, yes. But they are not at all suitable for young ladies to see. Not at all suitable.
1: I should like to see them. I have a a reason. Is it possible?
2: Uh, Possible? Of course it is possible. (laughs) The tourists go to see them all the time. But it is not suitable, you understand, not for a nice girl like you, Miss Penny.
1: I'm pretty uncorruptible, Mr. Mukherjee. Will you take me?
2: If you insist. See? There are the caves.
1: Look, Mr. Mukherjee, wouldn't you rather I went up on my own? That's quite a climb. Are you sure? I mean,
2: a young lady on her own.
1: I'm very much able to look after myself, I assure you. I shan't be long.
2: Wait, Miss Penny. I have something for you. Take this guide. It will save you from having to buy one. It is a little old, Uh... but...
1: So you have been to see them, Mr. Mukherjee?
2: I was a young man. All young people are curious.
1: Like me. <laughs> Bye. Right,
3: Mrs. Know all the best statues. See everything, Mrs. Ibe. Man and woman doing it.
0: Penny shakes her head and moves to a quiet corner of the cave, averting her eyes from some of the more acrobatic carvings as she passes from her bag she produces a crumpled letter written with a scrawling hand on cheap notepaper she starts to read
5: anyway pen i left the party to see if i could find somewhere to powder my nose there wasn't anywhere but i did come across what looked like an entrance to another cave under the one we were in i was just going to explore when i saw a man standing in the shadows staring at me i tell you i got the creepiest feeling all over me but a nice sort of creepy. Anyway, I've arranged to meet him tonight. I haven't told the others. I feel ever so daring. I'll tell you all about it in my next letter.
0: She opens the guide that Babu gave her, studies the map in it for a moment, then looks around to try to get her bearings. In one corner of the cave, where the walls are devoid of carvings who have no interest to the sightseers, there is a sign. No visitors beyond this point. Penny glances at the map again, then crosses over to it. Behind the sign is a small inner cave. Glancing about her to make sure she is not seen, she starts to walk down it, then freezes as she realizes she is being watched. She turns slowly round. The evil-faced acolyte from the sacrifice is now wearing a plain shirt and dhoti and the official badge of a tourist guide. He is staring at her. Penny stands, transfixed. Can this be the man? What do you want here? Visitors are not allowed.
7: Can you not read?
1: I was hoping to find the entrance to the lower cave.
7: There is no lower cave.
1: But the guidebook...
7: There is no
0: lower cave. Now go from here.
1: I'm sorry, I... Go!
0: As she passes the notice again, she glances back. The evil-faced man still glares at her, venomously. Outside, Penny takes a deep breath of air before starting down the path. Babu is asleep in the car, a colorful handkerchief over his face to protect him from the sun. He jumps awake as Penny calls.
2: Mr. Mukherjee! Ah, You have seen enough. I am not surprised. Better we go before the rain comes. Early to bed for you.
0: Prem lies where we last saw him. A thin shaft of sunlight crosses his closed eyes, causing them to flicker open. He winces, forces himself to sit up and groans. me. Grabbing hold of the bed, he pulls himself upright and staggers over to the washstand. He pours himself a glass of water with a shaking hand and downs it in one draught, then sways, trying to grab the bed but falling to the floor again.
6: There you are. Are you sure you will be all right,
1: my dear? There's nothing that you want? Quite sure. Thank you, Mrs. Mukherjee.
6: (coughs) Drink your hot milk. It will soothe you. I put a little something in it. Nothing harmful. Just something to keep away the fever. (coughs) Good night, then, my dear. Sleep well.
0: As soon as Mrs. Mukherjee is gone, Penny steps out of bed and crosses to the window. She throws it open, peers out into the night then crosses to the wardrobe and takes out her clothes. She sees a stub of candle on the bedside table, picks it up. Back at the palace, Prem is working on the window bars of his bedroom, trying to prize them out. He is having some small success when he hears the sound of the key turning in the bedroom lock. He jumps down to face the door, still a little unsteady, as the major domo enters, followed by the blind-eyed servant, who throws Prem's sitar onto the bed. Here is your money. Be ready to leave in ten minutes. Uh, wait a minute. Where is my sister?
2: She's staying. What? She can't be. She's staying. Ten minutes. My sister.
0: A dilapidated taxi appears outside the caves and rumbles to a halt. Penny steps out, pays the driver and walks off. He watches her for a moment, puzzled. Then, with a painful crashing of gears, he drives off back down the hillside. Inside the palace, the great door opens and Prem is unceremoniously hustled out by the major domo and servant who places the sitar and two luggage bags on the ground in front of him.
4: You have no right to do this. I don't believe my sister wants to stay. Believe what you want? I think she's being held against her will and I demand to see the maharaj.
0: Penny reaches the entrance to the caves and ducks inside. The thunder echoes and re-echoes in the vast, empty stone chamber, making a sound that is quite overwhelming. For a moment she just stands there, shattered by it. Then she pulls herself together and moves past the nighttime barriers and the warning sign to the inner cave. She lights the stump of candle she's brought with her, then moves slowly forward. Penny jumps at the thunder and drops the candle which rolls away from her. She goes down onto her hands and knees and scrambles after it, grabs it, finds the matchbox and lights it again to find herself face to face with a king cobra. She freezes, scarcely daring to breathe. The cobra sways angrily, its hood inflated, its forked tongue darting, its beady eyes in the tiny flat head watching. Watching. Oh my God. Outside the caves, Prem walks dejectedly down the narrow path. As the first drops of rain start to fall, he stops, puts down his cases, and pulls up the collar of his coat. He picks up his cases, then hurries on. As Prem reaches the entrance to the caves, the heavens open and the rain starts in earnest. He just has time to duck inside before he is soaked through. Penny's eyes dart from side to side as she hears his movements from the main cave and offers up a silent prayer that whoever he is, he will not come her way. Don't! Prem, trying to work out where he is, starts to wander around the cave and hears the hissing of the snake. He stands perfectly still then reaches into his pocket, removes a flint wheel lighter, and takes a pace forward. As he enters the inner cave, he flicks the lighter. Who's there? The cobra strikes hard, catching Penny in the thigh as she tries to roll free. With a cry of terror and pain, she scrambles to her feet, just as Prem finally gets the lighter to work. Startled, he sees Penny stagger towards him, and the cobra slink away. He just has time to catch her as she collapses, and his lighter goes out. Dragging her quickly to the entrance, he lays her on the ground. Where? Where did it strike? Penny points to her right thigh. Prem hesitates, then pulls a knife from his pocket and flicks it open, ripping open her trouser leg. This will hurt. Steadying his hand, he sticks the knife in, deep. Blood wells out, black at first, then becoming red. Prem pulls the knife across the puncture marks and cuts a deep cross. He then puts his mouth to the wound and sucks at the blood, spitting out the poison. He does this three times before he is satisfied, then whips out the lace from one of his shoes and ties it loosely around Penny's leg above the wound. Taking his fountain pen from his jacket, he sticks it into the lace and twists it several times, making a tourniquet. Only then does he sit back on his heels, breathing deeply. Prem has Penny in his arms as he walks through the downpour to a small farmer's hut away from the cave entrance. He calls out in Hindi and the door opens a fraction to reveal the face of a farmer peering out at him. Prem exchanges urgent words and the farmer opens the door. Prem carries Penny inside, lays her down and loosens the tourniquet. Miss Woods, Penny. You were bitten by a snake.
1: But...
4: Shh, you'll be all right. I removed the poison. How? I had to suck it out, Miss Penny. I oh. hope you don't mind.
1: Mind? That you saved my life? Bram, what were you doing in that cave?
4: I was sheltering from the storm. I see. No, you don't see. I was sheltering because I'd been thrown out of the palace.
1: And Lakshmi too? No.
4: She's still there. She wanted to stay. That's what they told me.
1: Do you believe that?
4: No. No, I don't.
1: I don't either. You don't? No. Prem, you haven't asked me what I was doing in that cave, and it's too long a story to tell you anyway. What I have to tell you is that I was lying to you on that train. I said I had come here just by chance. I hadn't. I came here for a reason. It was my sister who had that legacy. She came here to India and disappeared. Disappeared? She wrote to me from here, Mahabad. She said she'd met a man in those caves. And that was the last I heard.
4: Your parents? Perhaps they- They're
1: dead. No, there's only me left to care. We're very close, you see. That's why I know she's in trouble. Uh,
4: Did you not go to the police?
1: They were very kind, but they couldn't help. Not unless I had some evidence of an abduction.
4: And you came here, all by yourself?
1: I had to. She's my sister. As Lakshmi is yours.
4: My God. You think... God.
1: It's possible, isn't it? There's a way to find out. Tomorrow night.
6: Not slept in, out all the night. What can have happened to the poor child?
2: Perhaps she just
6: left? Left? Without taking her clothes, her money? No. She was taken. Now, Bibiji. Her window was wide open, was it not? Wide open all the night?
2: You're right. What to do, Bibiji? What to do?
0: Outside the palace, The figures of Prem and Penny move through the dusk to the back of the guest wing. Prem starts to work on the bars in the window of the room he had, desperate to get the job done before anyone can catch them. They press back into the shadows, as one of the servants appears, leading a huge dog. The dog senses something, starts to whine, but the servant takes no notice and jerks the dog along with him. Penny and Prem breathe again and he reaches up to the bars and gives one a really hard jerk. It comes away, and Prem nearly drops it, just catching it in time. They pause a moment to get over the shock. Then Prem pulls himself up and scrambles inside. He's gone for what seems like an eternity, then reappears. All right. Inside the bedroom, Prem moves over to the door and tries it. It opens easily. He peers out then turns back to Penny, indicating all is clear. They leave, moving as quietly as they can, and tiptoe down the corridor to the adjoining room. Lakshmi?
4: (sighs) Empty. We can't search every room. There must be hundreds of them.
1: Where did you last see her?
4: The Great
0: Hall. Prem and Penny quietly close the big oak doors of the Great Hall behind them unseen by them standing near a small doorway at the rear of the hall next to the fireplace well hidden by the shadows is the figure of the Maharaja
4: I sat over here and Lakshmi danced over there
1: for the Maharaja?
4: no, not for the Maharaja there was another man tall, pale, dark hair he sat there watching Lakshmi watching
1: with piercing eyes?
4: Yes. They were... horrible. All the time she danced, those horrible eyes never left her.
1: After she had danced, what then?
4: He asked her to dance again. No, he told her to dance. It was an order. Anyway, I...
1: What is it?
0: She sees the Prem has spotted something and follows him as he moves across the room to the great fireplace. The Maharaja has now gone. But there's a narrow opening beside it, leading into blackness. That... it wasn't like that before.
1: You sure? Certain. Oh, well, I suppose we've... We've got to do it.
4: Go... in there?
0: Prem appears at the top of a short flight of steps, followed quickly by Penny. They peer round trying to pierce the gloom. In various places in the roof, holes have been cut in the rock so that daylight and air can filter through. Water can be heard running somewhere, and small animals scampering about.
1: We can't just stand here. No. Shall I go first?
0: No.
4: We need more light. I could go back, see if I can find a torch.
1: And get caught? Too dangerous.
0: You think this isn't dangerous? <gasps> Penny has to stifle a scream as a rat scurries across her feet.
4: Oh, these damned matches!
0: <gasps> Lit up in front of them are the multicolored gowns, all hanging in rows along the rock wall, looking like a coven of ghosts.
1: What do you think they're for?
0: I don't know. Some
4: sort of ceremonial robes?
1: What were they?
4: Uh, masks. Religious masks. But of a faith that was forbidden many years ago.
1: Light another match.
4: I've dropped them. Oh. Ugh, it's all wet down here, and it smells. You know what it is?
1: Mm.
4: It is death. One smells much of it in this country.
1: I'm frightened, Brennan.
4: I found the matches Light one I can't, they're
1: soaked I don't think I can go on
4: Yes, you can No need to be afraid of the dead Let's move
1: on
0: They're now in a sort of tomb chamber There are more ventilation holes in the roof Through which pools of dim light illuminate the floor In the center of the chamber on a stone catafalque Rests a white coffin The top is open. Prem and Penny slowly approach through the pools of fast-fading light.
1: Uh, Perhaps the smell is coming from the coffin. Prem, careful.
4: My god. What is it? It's him. In there, the other man.
1: Dead? I think so. His mouth. Look. It's covered with blood.
4: Lakshmi's blood.
1: breathe it. What should we do? We must get help. Where? Anywhere. Get them to come and see.
0: As Prem turns from the coffin to face Penny, the vampire's eyes slowly open. I should stay while you go.
1: What could you do against...
0: You're right. A thin, white hand appears over the side of the coffin. Penny sees it first and is struck dumb with terror. The hand grabs Prem's arm in a vice-like grip. <laughs>
3: Run! Penny, run! For God's sake, run!
0: <laughs> the door at the top of the steps is open. A flickering light can be seen beyond. Penny reaches the steps and bounds up them, but the secret doorway is slammed in her face. She bangs at it wildly, sobbing and screaming for help. The Maharaja stands silently close to the door. His face shows a mixture of fear and sadistic pleasure as he listens to Penny's pleas. Behind him a servant holds a double candle holder aloft. Gradually, Penny forces herself to calm down. For a moment, she has no idea what to do. Then she realizes the only thing for her to do is to go back. In the tomb chamber, the twisted figure of Prem lies on the wet floor beside the catafalque. Penny looks cautiously around, and seeing no one else, hurries towards him. His eyes are closed, but he's still breathing. She forces herself to stand up and look inside the coffin. It's empty, but from out of the blackness that surrounds her, she hears a voice. Do not be afraid. He is still one of the living. (laughs) Penny spins round, turning this way and that, trying to trace the source of the sound. The laughter seems to be coming from every direction. Finally, Penny can't stand it any longer. She runs, anywhere, but comes face to face with the figure of Dracula. He reaches out his hand to her. She twists round and runs again, to face him once more, and again, and again. Everywhere she turns, he seems to be there, laughing at her, extending his hand. Finally, sobbing and choking with fear and fatigue, she collapses. In an instant, the figure of the vampire is standing there. She looks up at him. ...as he looms gigantic over her. What have you done
1: with them? With Lakshmi, with my sister?
0: For a moment, the vampire's face clouds. Then, with an evil smile, he bends over her. Grips her arm in his claw-like hand. And drags her over to an iron grating laid over the top of a lower chamber. He holds her over it. The stench is so strong, Penny has difficulty not retching. You wish to see them... There they are. Dracula twists her so that she has to look down. Her eyes widen in disbelief. The chamber is filled with human bodies. They are the undead. Dracula's blood back. All of them are female. All of them are either Indian or Eastern nationality. All of them, except one. She looks up, and we can see her pale skin. This is Lucy. Penny's sister A flicker of recognition appears In her nearly dead eyes And a sickly smile twitches At her colourless lips Slowly, words are formed
3: Pain Come No No Please.
7: Prepare her
0: With a sudden movement He turns And is gone From the shadows, the Maharaja and his servant emerge. The Maharaja picks up Penny, while the servant picks up Prem, and they move back into the blackness. A few moments later, Penny is slapped hard across the face by the Rani. (gasps) At first, she cannot make out where she is and is shocked to find that she is lying on the bed, naked.
6: Stop that. You will bathe, then dress in that. Oh, my clothes! I have had them destroyed. You will dress properly in a sari for your master. Master? He awaits you. Babe, now. No, no, You will do as I say, as he wishes. And quickly, I shall return in ten minutes.
0: Two serving women carrying jars of perfumed oils appear and move to Penny, who just lies limply, unable to believe what is happening as they bathe her. Prem, meanwhile, back in his room, has been stripped to a simple loincloth and stretched out across the bed, still unconscious, his hands firmly tied together. The Rani enters and moves quietly towards him, her eyes filled with lust. She stands there for a long moment, then kneels down and extends her shaking hands to caress him, only stopping when she hears someone coming. The blind-eyed servant enters, sees her, and bows. The Rani takes a last, longing look at Prem, then sweeps out. Back in the great hall...
6: Master, may I speak? Well? The boy, Master.
7: You want him for yourself? Yes. (laughs) Yes. No.
6: But when you first came to us, when we first took you in... Took me in? I, Count Dracula? When you first honored us, we made a bargain.
7: I do not make bargains. I am not a tradesman.
6: No more am I.
7: No? Look at you. With your dull faces all in a row. Like sheep in a butcher's. You have already despoiled his sister. The boy is mine.
6: I am the Rani of Mahabad, the High Priestess of the Temple of Blood! (laughs) Blood? What
7: do you know of blood? To you and your foolish followers, it is something to spill, to waste, to drench your unclean bodies in. You know nothing, nothing of its life giving spirit,
6: of life without end. And we agreed. To help each other's needs... desires. But it is you who is unclean. It is you who skulk in the dark. It is you who fouls the pure sacrificial youth with your evil...
7: Who is it that controls the authorities? That makes it safe for you to continue your childish games?
6: Games? These are ancient traditions. Observed for centuries.
7: I have lived a span longer than you can calculate. Who is it that keeps you and that weakling man of yours from retribution?
6: No. No. I beg you, no.
7: The choice is yours. You will do as I command. I am your master. Nothing less than total obedience will suffice.
6: I will fetch the girl. Master.
0: Babu, frightened, takes from the dashboard compartment the old guidebook to the caves and a First World War service revolver and puts them into his pocket. Then he produces a flask and takes a long drink. He gets out of his car and starts to climb up towards the entrance to the caves. In Lakshmi's room, Penny now lies bathed and robed.
6: The fates I've chosen you, tonight we both fulfill our destiny.
0: Babu enters the caves and peers around him. In the moonlight spilling through the entrance, the carvings look more sinister than ever. He shudders and peers at the map before moving hesitantly in the direction of... The lower cave. Just as he reaches the entrance to the inner cave, he stops dead as he hears the sound of approaching footsteps, the shuffling of many bare feet. He is just in time to duck back into the shadows before the temple worshippers, musicians and acolytes appear, walking in silence. They pass through to the inner cave and seem to just disappear. Babu stares out from the darkness, amazed. In the great hall, Dracula looks up slowly as the door opens and the Rani appears, pushing Penny before her. She cries out in fear when she sees him, trying to get away, but the Rani has a steel grip on her and pushes her into the room.
6: The girl, Master.
0: Penny realizes there is no way of escape as she looks around the great hall. The huge windows are too high, the doors all locked, even the secret panel will not reveal itself. And all the time, Dracula watches her, not moving, staring. Finally, she leans back against the wall and lets her body sink to the floor, then looks up. Away from the hall, down in the great cave, the acolytes are all gathered, murmuring expectantly among themselves. The murmuring dies to silence as the door swings back and the Rani, now in her robes, sweeps in. She strides straight to the center of the area, flings up her arms and cries out,
6: Rak Jivan hai!
0: Babu, still hidden, nearly has a heart attack as the shout of the crowd reverberates around him, but he does not run.
6: You have been summoned to witness the return of purity to the Brotherhood of Blood.
0: She makes an arm gesture, and the blind-eyed servant brings in the bound but struggling Prem. All eyes are upon him as he is led to stand before the Rani. See,
6: there are no marks upon him. He is clean, pure, unlike the girl, his sister. The evil one has not set his unholy mark upon this boy's unsullied flesh. His
0: flesh. She runs her hands over the sides of Prem's exposed neck.
6: He has not been defiled as all others had since that creature of the night descended upon us.
0: In a dark corner, the Maharaja stands listening, a cruel smile on his lips, then slinks away.
6: His blood, his body, his spirit, all are pure. His death will be your glory
0: Krem, ashen with fear, begins to struggle fiercely. Babu has now arrived at the hidden door that leads to the Great Cave. A little of the flickering light from the torches burning below spills up onto his perspiring face. He leans forward, peers his eyes widening with incredulous amazement as he sees the Rani standing in front of Prem, surrounded by hundreds of worshippers and acolytes. Back at the palace, inside the great hall, Dracula stares at Penny, willing her to rise and walk towards him. Come to me. Come. Despite herself, Penny walks toward him, until her body is close to the vampire's. And now, as a physical excitement overcomes her, she turns her head slightly to one side. Dracula reaches up to stroke her neck, very gently. Then he strikes, hard, viciously, forcing his fangs deep into her bare flesh, crushing her body into his. She cries out in pain, which turns to pleasure and then collapses to the floor. Dracula stands over her, looking down, his eyes red with lust, his fangs wet with the fresh blood. He drops to his knees and prepares to strike again when the Maharaja enters.
3: Master. My wife, she has... she has betrayed you.
0: In the Great Cave, The ceremony is reaching its climax now, and the Rani gives the sign. The gold cloth that covers the lingam is removed, exposing the silver point as the congregation cries out in delight. Babu, still watching, is unable to tear his eyes from the wild scene below, as the cobra, unseen, sways next to his bare foot, his forked tongue darting. The Rani, her face wet with perspiration, raises her arm. Prem, still struggling to get away, is held near the altar. Suddenly, Dracula appears, screaming out in rage, the Maharaja close behind him. The worshippers huddle back in terror. Only the Rani proudly holds her ground. Dracula strides up to her, then hits her with all his force across the face, sending her staggering. Oh god! Babu takes an involuntary step back and almost treads on the cobra which hisses. The Rani slowly picks herself up from the ground and with a cry of rage, hurls herself at Dracula, scratching, clawing, trying to bite him. But Dracula, his face twisted into a terrible smile, holds her off at arm's length, laughs at her.
7: You fool! You were
0: warned! There can be no second chances! Then he changes his grip so that he has her by the throat, is choking the life out of her. The acolytes, murmuring, furious among themselves, start to move forward. Get back! Get back! Dracula moves quickly back so that he is near the altar, then raises the Rani so that she is held over the sharp spike of the lingam. No,
6: mercy, please, master. I beg you.
0: The acolytes moan with anguish. With a terrible laugh, he throws her onto it. Ah! 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 The cobra sways back and forth. Babu, his hand trembling, has managed to produce the revolver. But the Rani's scream coming from below so unnerves him that he jerks the trigger. The recoil from the explosion sends him staggering back so that he falls against the door. It flies open and he crashes down the steps to land on the earth floor. The congregation panics, sending the lamps flying, plunging the place into near darkness. Babu has rolled across the floor and is now close to the unguarded Prem. Babu, quick, quick, follow me! They reach the inner entrance and are through before anyone has time to notice they have gone and run through the caverns, onwards and up, grazing themselves against the rock walls, pushing themselves to escape until they arrive at the Great Hall. Inside, Prem is astonished to see Penny, partially recovered and getting to her feet. Penny, run! Now! Now! He grabs her hand and they all dash out of the door. In the Great Cave. Dracula is indulging in a gluttonous frenzy, the drained bodies of his victims lying hideously, littering the ground.
3: I have to tell you that if anyone else had come to me with such a story, I doubt if I should have believed one word of it. Even now, I'm finding your story so bizarre that I have the greatest difficulty in believing that this is not some sort of hoax. A hoax? I assure you, Inspector. I'm quite sure that you do, Mr Mukherjee. I'm also quite certain that you yourself are believing every word of it. I was there too, Inspector. So was I. And you both confirm what Mr Mukherjee has just told me? Yes. Yes, I do. Very well.
2: Then there is only one way to find out just what is going on. I assure you, Inspector, you will not be wasting one minute of your valuable time.
0: As the Morris, overheated now, comes jugging up the palace drive to a halt, Prem, Penny and Babu see the inspector talking to the Maharaja at the top of the steps. They shake hands warmly. Then the inspector gives a smart salute, turns, and hurries down the steps. His face turns to anger as he sees the Morris.
2: Oh dear!
0: The inspector strides straight past them and is about to get into his car when he is halted by Penny calling him.
1: Inspector! You don't have to tell us what he said, I can guess. But did you really expect him to say anything else? Did you expect him to admit to everything?
3: The Maharaja has made it quite clear to me that his wife, the Rani, is alive, that he has never seen any of you before. Also, he knows nothing of any uh, ceremony, uh, sacrifice.
1: Of course he does. Why don't you search the palace, see for yourself? He
3: is a respected, honored member of our community and an old friend of mine. One does not abuse such friendship without proof, positive proof.
0: Penny's hand goes to her neck.
1: I'm sorry, but you have only our word. We have no proof. I don't
3: know what your motives were in making this ludicrous accusation. I can only assume that you are all sick and need medical care. I trust we shall not meet again.
2: We've lost... No one will believe us
4: now. No, we haven't. How did you get into the lower cave, Babu? You're not suggesting that we go back. We have to. How can we leave her sister? And Lakshmi? But there are many. There are many, it is true. But they are divided. Their high priestess was killed. They will want their revenge. But what of him? The
2: evil one.
1: He sleeps by day. He's a creature of the night.
2: Well, come on then.
0: Outside the cave, the iron-grilled gates, which have always been open until now, are firmly shut and padlocked.
1: What now?
4: You could try the British Consul in Calcutta,
0: Penny.
1: It would be too late. They would have covered...
0: Coming down the winding road from the palace is the Rolls Royce.
1: See! See what's in the back!
0: The car is being driven by the Majordomo, the Maharaja by his side, and in the rear is the white coffin.
2: He'll get away! Free! No! We will give chase! Come on!
0: The Maharaja looks back to make sure that the coffin is secure, and sees the Morris in hot pursuit. The roll starts to accelerate.
4: They're getting away!
0: Babu licks his lips and pushes his foot harder down on the accelerator. The going becomes even wilder, the wheels just skimming the edge of the road with its sheer drop to the valley below. Just as it looks as if the little Morris is really managing to gain on the bigger car, a bullock cart backs out into the road from a farm. The Rolls just manages to squeeze by, but the Morris brakes squealing, tires screeching, slithers into the side of the thing with a crunch of metal and tinkle of broken glass. Mahabad, the streets are jam-packed with happy pilgrims, all male, waiting their turn to handle the great ropes that harness the Jagannath, and so receive blessing and a day of freedom. The Jagannath are huge, wheeled carriages, like small temples. All of their many highly decorated tiers are covered with people, priests, musicians, dignitaries, all shouting encouragement to the crowd, or intoning prayers to the accompaniment of gongs and long, deep-noted horns. The Rolls-Royce, with its macabre cargo, appears at the top of the road and horn blaring tries to force a way through the crowds. Prem and Babu are dragging the little morris clear when, with a great blaring of horns, one of the hill station buses swings past, causing them to jump quickly to one side or be run down. As they look up, they see that the bus is full of acolytes. The majordomo sounds the horn of the rolls and bangs on the door, but to no avail. Will you let me pass? With the Jagannath approaching, the crowd are in no mood to make way. In desperation, the maharaja leaps down from the car and starts to manhandle them out of the way. One old man tries to resist, and the maharaja hits out wildly, knocking him down. This incenses the crowd to mob fury. They open the driver's door, grab the major domo, and set upon him in fury, beating and kicking him. As the Maharaja disappears into the crowd, the pilgrims realise that the car will block the way of the sacred carriage and push it across the road into a narrow side alley, where it rolls down the hill, smashing into a ditch. The rear door flies open, and the coffin slides gently out to flop into the scummy, filthy water. As the Jagannath approaches, the long ropes pulled by hundreds of men, all singing, chanting, ecstatically happy, the Maharaja watches with terror as its huge wheels grind nearer and nearer.
3: I am the Maharaja. You must let me.
0: He looks round wildly and sees to his horror he is now surrounded by the acolytes, led by the evil-faced one. He opens his mouth, cries out for help, but his voice is lost as the mob gives him a final push. With a scream of terror, the Maharaja falls forward beneath the wheels. Later, the streets are deserted. But from every house comes the sound of gaiety, as the end of the great day is celebrated. The little Morris, bruised and battered, limps to a halt outside the Mukaji home.
2: What now?
1: We must divide. Search on foot.
2: Miss Penny! You cannot... a girl alone? You cannot even speak the language.
1: I'll make myself understood.
2: But the task is cast so many places to hide. He's right, Benny. We've no chance of finding them.
1: I cannot give up. I will find him.
2: Then we must go together.
1: It will waste too much time. I'm going.
2: Wait! Just one moment, Prem. I will get my revolver.
0: Two small boys playing an Indian version of hopscotch pass the Rolls Royce and stop. Seeing that it is abandoned, they peer inside It is empty. They quickly scramble in just as the sun begins to set below the far rooftops, a shaft of dying light illuminating the white coffin hidden in the ditch beside the car.
2: We must try to find her. It will be dark soon and many bad things can happen.
0: As Penny searches, a sixth sense seems to be guiding her. Her hand goes to her neck. She loosens her cravat scarf. Her instinct tells her to turn left, and she moves off as the sun sets. Just around the corner, the boys, still absorbed in their game, continue to play in the car. As the last rays of sunlight die out, the lid of the coffin begins to crack and splinter. A bony white hand appears, clawing at the wood. The boy in the back of the rolls climbs over the seat to join his friend behind the wheel. A dark figure appears before them. (coughs) Prem and Babu freeze as they hear a terrible scream. As Penny approaches the car, she sees the white coffin, its lid torn open from within. Dracula stands in the deep shadow of a doorway. He fixes his eyes on Penny's. She does not flinch, and returns his gaze.
7: Help me, child. Take the boy. Take it. I command you.
0: You have not the power.
7: Your initiation was not complete, but the seeds are sown.
0: Dracula is hit in the shoulder. Prem shoots again, hits him in the chest. Dracula throws down the body of the boy and reaches for Penny, but she withdraws. As Prem and Babu run towards them, for a moment he looks at her, shocked. Then he's off, like the wind. Penny, are you alright?
4: How did you find him?
0: Dracula's cloak now has the appearance of wings, and his agility almost makes one believe he can fly. As he reaches the gardens of the Tower of Silence, he strides through the trees, then suddenly realizes... He is not alone. The acolytes emerge, one by one, until he is completely surrounded. A brotherhood of blood, all yellow-robed, each armed with a sharpened bamboo lance and dedicated to avenge the death of their High Priestess. Lashing out viciously with his hands, feet and fangs, Dracula kills one man after another, but their numbers force him back until he is flattened against the sheer face of the stone tower itself. The Acolytes cannot believe their eyes as he shins up the sheer face of the tower, somehow stopping to tear out a block of stone to hurl down at his tormentors. (laughs) Then, continuing up to the very top, where every inch is littered with bones, each picked meticulously clean by vultures. Dracula is safe. He has escaped his tormentors. But he is trapped. He shouts his defiance. Then starts to tend his many wounds, his clothes saturated in his own blood. (laughs) Prem, Babu, and Penny are nearly home. Babu stops one of his neighbors and talks to him in Hindi. People are emerging from their houses and running off.
2: He's trapped. Where? The Tower of Silence. Remember? I showed you? Yes, on the train.
0: Prem and Babu start to move off, following the others. Then they realize that Penny is not following. They stop and turn back to look at her.
1: Aren't you coming? There's no hurry. Nothing will happen until dawn. I'm hungry.
0: Just before dawn, the base of the tower is ringed with acolytes, their lances held skywards. Penny and Prem and Babu join the throng. Vendors are selling food and drink. Old men play old men's games. Lovers embrace. Children run about. Babies suckle their mothers' breasts. The total area is a mass of humanity. Above them all, on top of the tower, Dracula prowls around the edge. Occasionally looking down. His anger is total. It has possessed him. He is trapped, and he knows it. He looks to the east, to the horizon. The pre-sunrise light is rising beyond the edge of the world. A grey, cold, misty world. And now he hears them. He looks up. As do Prem, Babu and Penny in the crowd. The sky is dark, with vultures. Penny smiles as the shadow of the king vulture crosses Dracula's face. He raises his arms in an attempt to ward off the inevitable, but it attacks, sending him down on his knees with its sheer weight. Other vultures follow suit as the acolytes cry out, elated. Elated. Dracula beats wildly with his arms, trying to fight off the birds of prey, but the combined attack is too much. He falls back amongst the bones and human debris, and the vultures move in, picking at his eyes, tearing at his flesh. With superhuman strength, Dracula drags himself towards the parapet, the vultures still on him. He pulls himself up in a desperate bid for freedom and jerks his body over the edge. The acolytes cry out in victory as his body falls slowly towards them and is then impaled a dozen times on their sharpened sticks. As a shaft of sunlight reaches him, he slowly disintegrates. The powdery remains falling to the ground. And finally, his family's signet ring, its gold crest glinting. In the sunlight.
2: Locked the Jeevan hair. Nothing left. Nothing.
0: The memory. Nothing more. Babu turns back to find himself alone. Prem and Penny have gone. He looks around, startled. Outside the palace... A taxi pulls into the forecourt and stops. After a moment, Prem, then Penny emerge. As the taxi drives off, she reaches out, takes his hand and leads him up the steps to the front door. She tries the handle. It turns.
4: I don't understand.
1: My sister. She's alive. How do you know? The evil one, Dracula. It's as if our minds were somehow joined. She's here, and she's waiting for us.
0: Once they've reached the centre of the Great Hall, she stops.
1: Wait here.
0: She releases his hand and moves to the door of the inner chambers, and moves on from sight. In the tomb chamber, she bends to pull back the bolts that hold the grille secure, and then slides it aside. She stands and steps back. In total silence, except for the sounds made by their bare feet, the female occupants emerge. Each in turn approaches Penny and kisses her hand, then moves on towards the entrance to the palace. Finally, Lucy appears. The sisters embrace, then hand in hand move off. Prem watches in wonder as the females appear from the lower depths. Before he realizes it, they have surrounded him. Unease sweeps over him, but he is prevented from running by the reassuring reappearance of Penny. Still holding Lucy's hand, she moves to him to stand close. Very close. Your sister? Penny nods, releases Lucy's hand, and smiles at Prem. The smile turns to a grimace. No! And her fangs are disclosed. Before Prem can do anything, she attacks, arms around his body, fangs into his neck. A sigh from the females fills the room. The ferocity of her attack forces Prem to his knees. In the Mukherjee's home, Babu is sitting next to his wife, sipping a warm drink, wondering what has happened to Prem and Penny. Suddenly, he shudders. Oh,
6: what troubles you, my Babu?
2: <sighs> nothing. Nothing at all. The shadow has passed. All is well now, my sweet. oh.
0: Penny steps away from Prem, her mouth wet with his fresh blood. As he staggers to his feet, Lucy moves onto him. The others wait in anticipation. When Lucy finishes, the next fastens herself upon him. Penny and Lucy embrace, as outside, elsewhere, we see the sun set over the quiet town and its unsuspecting inhabitants. In the unquenchable thirst of Dracula, Penny was Anna Maidley, Prem Nikesh Patel, Babu Kulvindagir the Rani and Mrs. Mukherjee Mira Sayal, Dracula Lewis McLeod, Lakshmi Aisha Dhaka, Inspector and the Maharaja Raj Gatak, Lucy Natalie Kimmeling, and evil face Sega Arya. The narrator was Michael Sheen. Other parts were played by members of the company. The unquenchable thirst of Dracula was directed by Mark Gatiss, with original music by Blair Mowit. It was produced by Lawrence Bowen and Peter Tedgi and was a Dancing Ledge production for BBC Radio 4.